Well, welcome online to Water of Life Community Church. We're so glad that you're with us. My name is Victoria, and I'm one of the youth pastors here at, your, at this church, and I'm also your host this weekend. So I just wanna say welcome. I'm glad that you're here. You know, we're gonna get started with worship in a couple minutes, but I'm here to share with you guys all the exciting things that are happening at Water of Life. And speaking of worship, if you do wanna worship by the form of giving, you can do that on our mobile app, or on our website, wateroflifecc.org. And if at any point during the service you need prayer, we have pastors and prayer counselors who would love to pray with you at any point during the service. But speaking of what's happening at Water of Life, I'm here to share with you guys a couple of things that are going on. First things first, we wanna say thank you to everybody who supported us for our global fireworks booths. We were able to raise money and help support everything that's going on all across the world as we partner with our global outreach department. And speaking of global outreach department, I'm sure some of you remember, but a few weeks ago, we acknowledged something called Refugee Month, and we wanted to challenge you to be a part of our Dollar Club. And what the Dollar Club is, if you don't know, is this simple challenge. Bring one dollar and see what God can do with that dollar. And because of your generosity, we were able to raise over $25,000 to help support refugees across the world. Yes, that's something to celebrate. It's so amazing that we were able to raise $25,000 from your generosity. And so we want to say thank you. But I'm sure you're asking, well, Victoria, what happened with that $25,000? Well, instead of me telling you, why don't we check out this video? Greetings, Water of Life. Uh, Pastor Glenn here, and I want to send out a big thank you, yay God, to the Dollar Club donors because of the generosity we are able to, as you can see, supply so much for these refugees in the seven churches we work with in Mbepe camp. And uh, we'll be shooting more when we get to the camp just to show how the distribution goes. And once again, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, and God bless you. Holy Father, we thank you for your generosity to the people of God, to give to those that are the least, to feed them, to clothe them, to welcome them in as the stranger. And Father, as your word says in Proverbs, you will, whoever gives to the poor will never lack anything. So I ask for all those that donate, that God, you would bless them, provide for all their needs, and we give you thanks and glory in Jesus' name, amen. truck has finally got here at a little bit difficulty on the road and we want to pray over what God has provided through our generous donors that have given to this project of distribution. We have so much to distribute uh, and we'll do more again in the future. At this time though we want to pray God's blessing over this and God's blessing over everyone that donated. You know the Bible says that I was uh, a stranger and you welcomed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I, I was uh, naked and you clothed me and that's what we're doing. And in Proverbs 17 it says, if you remember the poor, you will never lack anything. So everybody, pray with me, okay? Thank you, Dollar Club at Water of Life. God bless you, yay God, Well, way to go, Water of Life. Thank you so 
so much for your generosity. May it be a reminder for us that God can do so much with just a dollar. So thank you guys so much. Well, other than that, if you guys stepped outside at any point during the day, you probably know it's summertime here at Water of Life. And summertime is one of our favorite times of the year. And one of the reasons why is because every summer we host something called Summer Spectacular. And this year we are going to be hosting Summer Spectacular in your homes from July 27th through July 29th. And every kid that registers gets a swag bag full of gear and cool crafts and so many other things. And you know, all the things that you love about Summer Spectacular will still be happening, but in your homes. So from live worship to cool crafts, even live streaming large gatherings together, it's going to be an amazing time. So we want to encourage you to register and to register quickly because spots are filling up quickly. So registration is only $20. And so you can do that by visiting us at empoweredkids.org events or you can text the word FOCUS to 818-818. It's going to be an amazing time. You don't want to miss it. But you know what? I don't need to convince you. I don't want to be talking about it much longer. Why don't we show you? So why don't you do this? Why don't you help me welcome our kids' worship team to the stage as they prepared a little surprise just for you. So make some noise, raise your voice, and help me welcome our kids' worship team. So make sure you register today. Well, that's it for me, and we are going to be jumping into a time of worship. But you know, as I was standing there watching our kids worship, I was just reminded of the joy that just comes from being a kid, right? That they have this childlike joy about them. And I was reminded of one of my favorite verses in the Bible where it says it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. I'm gonna say that again. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. 
And so often we try to find our joy in so many things, right? Whether it's our finances, our cars, our careers, right? But the only joy, right, that can truly strengthen us, the only joy that can truly be the foundation we stand on is the joy that comes from the Lord, amen? And so let's worship out of a place of joy today, no matter where you are, whether you're in your house or in your car, maybe you're on your way to work, maybe you're having breakfast with your kids, whatever that may be, right? Let us worship out of a joyful place today. And so let's put our heart in a posture that says, Jesus, we joyfully worship you today because we know that you never change. We know that you are faithful. We know that you are good. And so would we find our joy only in you today, Jesus? And so we choose to joyfully worship you. We love you. We worship you. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's worship together.
Standing here 
If you know he's making a way for you. 
And we're standing here only because you made. And we're standing here only because you made. And we're standing here only because you made. And you move mountains. And you move mountains. You move mountains. Our God moves mountains. You cause walls to fall. You cause walls to fall. You cause walls to fall. You cause walls to cause us chains to break. You cause chains to break. You cause chains to
Be 
for a mighty word from God. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of the service. you are having a fantastic week in Water of Life. Uh, my name is Shane, and you are joining us for our weekend services, and we're so glad that you are. Uh, most of you are online this weekend, um, but we do want to stop and just say, hey, you may not know that, but our East Avenue campus, along with our Upland campus and our Townsville campus are now back open. And so uh, they're open in li limited capacity, but we're really excited to have people from time to time gathering with us and worshiping. And so we hope you guys had a great 4th of July weekend last weekend, and that you had a great message from Pastor Linda. We're so glad that she was able to do that, but you're tuning in this week uh, for part three on a series that we've been calling Sustaining Your Soul in the Midst of Difficult Times. And the real question for all of us isn't really when is life difficult. Really, for a lot of us these days, we start asking questions like when isn't life difficult? And so we're going to tease some of those conversations out. We're going to jump into that. But the real thing is, is for us, this whole conversation has been around what it does it mean for us to reclaim our minds to reclaim our hearts, to address issues of fear? And how do we begin to recognize that the inner life is something really important that drives the outer life in so many ways? And so if you're just joining us, let me get you caught up because we are in week three and uh, Pastor Linda stopped last week and shared her journey of healing and her journey of healing really fit beautifully inside this conversation because here's what we started saying. We start off by saying this, that really at the very beginning, who sets your pace? Who set the pace for your life? And this is what we said in week one, is who's setting the pace for your life? And who shapes your thinking? Is it God? Is it the world? Is it Twitter? What is the thing that is setting the pace for your life and what is going on inside of you and how you respond to the world around you? And then Pastor Marcus did an incredible job week two and brought this conversation saying, are you in control of your thoughts or your thoughts are in control of you? And what does it mean to take our thoughts captive? And if you missed those messages, I would encourage you to go back and watch them because in this moment where we're sitting in this point in this time in history, these messages are more important than they've ever been for us to recognize that God wants to do something with us, in us, and through us, not just as individuals, but as his church to shape the world for the future, to heal the pains of the past and begin to believe for something that God wants to do with us in the future. Through each of our weeks, we've been talking through this passage. We're going to talk about it now, and we'll talk about it again as we, we finish today. But that's really this, is John 10.10. 10. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And uh, John really is kind of making a statement. Excuse me. John is recording the Gospels uh, in his Gospel, his letter. As he's writing, he says this, and he's really quoting Jesus when he says, the thief, he says this in verse 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. And we talked about this in week one and week two, and we'll talk about it again today. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, this is something that we're going to come back to. And I want you to remember that because really what does that mean to have a rich and fulfilling life? What Jesus' expectation for us in this when he talks about that is probably far different than what we expect. Now, 
As we've said all along, really, we want to talk through some things. We're going to talk through some struggles. We're going to talk through fear. We're going to talk about anxiety as we continue through this series over the next few weeks. But the thing we want to say in the front is, listen, our hope isn't that our spirituality would be the singular answer to mental health issues. And we don't want to try to replace the, the space of your counselor, or your doctors, because some of you have mental health struggles that you want to address, that you need to address, that you need to continue to walk through. But Jesus wants to be part of this conversation too. And in no way are we meaning for spirituality to be the answer to all of it. We believe that God is part of all of the processes of our life. And he wants to use your doctors, he wants to use medicine, and he wants to do a lot of things to heal, restore, and bring life to you. And so as we continue, we're going to talk about fear today. And I don't know about you, but fear is one of those things that we don't like to talk about because it's so present. We don't want to have to admit that it's around us all the time. Um, when I was about 15, uh, my dad and some friends and I uh, decided to hike to the grand, bottom of the Grand Canyon. Now, this wasn't a new experience for me. My dad and I had done this several times together. Even when I was a little child, I'd hiked down there a few times. But as a teenager, it was the first time I had gotten to go as a, as a physical, physically able teenager. And so um, <clears throat> we went down with one of my best friends and his brother, and we went all the way down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and their dad as well. We camped for several days, but there was something that a few years before when we had gone and we were younger, we watched somebody else do that we wanted to do. And that was to jump off a waterfall. And now, um, if you're familiar with the bottom of the Grand Canyon, it's beautiful, it's serene. Now, th these waterfalls are no longer in the same shape as they were when I was there 20-something years ago um, when I'm during this time. But what hasn't changed is just the pristine nature of it. But what happened for me was this, is, um, and I, we have a picture of it, and you can take a look here. This is actually Navajo Falls in uh, the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And now here's the thing that's cool about Navajo Falls. Navajo Falls has all these like, kind of tributaries that come in and then just is beautiful. And now it doesn't, again, doesn't look like this anymore because there was a flood a few, a couple, about 10 years ago that changed the whole landscape. But needless to say, at one point or another, a few years before when we had gone up here, we wanted to go up and we wanted to jump off the top. Now, in this picture, it doesn't look very tall. So in this, in this kind of like situation, we would actually wanted to, and we saw somebody years before us climb up here and jump off into the, into the, into the pool down the bottom. Now, the thing that we didn't realize is one, you had to crawl all the way across the water to get to the top. The other thing we didn't realize is that um, that person was jumping a lot higher than we thought they were when we watched them jump. And I'll never forget the day we committed, um, without parental consent, by the way, we told our dads that we were just going to go play, you know, in the water over at, uh, you know, Navajo Falls. And our dads were taking naps, laying out camping. And they said, yeah, no problem. And so we did not tell them we were going to go jump the waterfall. Uh, but we got to the waterfall. We found a way. We had to hike all the way up to the top of the waterfall. We climbed across through the tributaries. It was a little scary. Got to the top and then looked down. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment when you have the fear right in front of you. And I get this, that this is a physical fear, but I'll never forget taking the rope because we decided before we jumped, we wanted to make sure we could claim how high it was. And the only way for us to measure it was while we were up there. So we took a string up with us. That was a 50 foot rope and we dropped it off and it barely touched the water. So we figured it was about 40 or 45 feet. And, but the thing that was so crazy and so unsettling about this moment was that the water's kind of like churning because all these waterfalls and these tributaries are falling down into this pool and there's just boiling water and you've got to jump. There's no turning back, right? You've come all the way across this whole thing. There's no way back. It's super dangerous to go back. And so uh, you step up to the edge and you got to jump. 
And the thing that was so important and really not life-changing at all in that regard, other than I have a story to brag about jumping off of a cliff into, from a waterfall, was that years later, I would climb to a higher point and a different place out at the river, and I would jump off a higher rock and do that. And the thing that was so important to this, and this is kind of the, the point, and I'll pray for us, and we're going to jump into our conversation today, is this is that without facing the fear of the past, without facing the fear of the past, I was not able or I would not have been able to face the opportunity in the future. Because the lessons of the past are the things that prepare us for the possibilities in the future. And if we allow fear to forfeit the present, it will always compromise the future. We're going to talk through some stories of what that looks like and how we, and each of us, allow fear to be life's greatest thief. And how we can walk through that, how we can address it, what we can do to combat it, and how we can recognize that fear may always be with us, but it always doesn't have to decide how we live. Fear, rejection, abandonment, ultimately the fear of pain and hurt are the things that so often drive us and, desire, and push us to make poor decisions and ultimately forfeit the future. But before we tear into all that, and before we share a couple stories about people who learned this the hard way, I want to pray for us because this is sensitive. I get that. I don't know where you are today. A lot of you are staring at your TV. Maybe you're with your small group. Hopefully you are. Some of you are sitting in front of your phone or you're listening while you're driving to work next week. Some of you are sitting, staring at a computer and you're by yourself. And the thing we want to just say is this, listen, fear encounters each of us and it does it on an individual level and it encounters us in ways that we never understood it might. But it doesn't have to write our future. I want to encourage you as you journey with us today, as we walk through this, to see yourself in these stories that we're going to talk about. We're going to say things about being courageous. You might think of yourself as not courageous. But the truth of the matter is, our life was meant to be shaped, transformed, healed, and restored. And we're praying for that to happen for you today. Wherever you're at right now, I've just asked you to just bow your heads and pray because I just want to stop for a second and ask God to do what he wants to do with us, in us, and through us. Heavenly Father, we want you to do what you and only you can do. To reach inside the deep spaces in our hearts and begin to rearrange the things that have been broken for so long. And God, we might not be believers and we might not be Jesus followers and we're just looking for something that would give us a little bit of hope. Would you reach across time and space and help us have hope today? Hope that the God that we're hoping might be real is real. Would you show up in people's circumstances wherever they're at today and give them the opportunity to access God, creator, lover of them. And we ask that you do that, that you would meet us wherever we're at today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, a bunch of years ago, um, a, there's a story that we've, most of us heard, and maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not, but the big picture of the story goes like this. Um, once upon a time, uh, the people of Israel had moved to Egypt. Abraham's family had moved to Egypt, and they were living there, and they became slaves. They had overpopulated. They began to threaten the economic system in the, the Egyptian empire, and they became slaves. Now what happens is that part of that journey is there's this miraculous experience where Moses goes before Pharaoh and Moses being raised as a as an Egyptian, Moses actually a Hebrew child. This story is miraculous and, and powerful. You should go read it and, and if you want to in Exodus. But our story is going to pick up a few years later, just on the other side of that story. And in fact, it's going to pick up about 40 years later with a guy named 
excuse me, with a guy named uh, Joseph and, excuse me, Joshua. And Joshua is going to, is walking right up to the edge of the promised land. And the promised land was the place that God had promised Moses and Abraham years and years and years before that he would give him a space that they would call their own and that they would be a blessing to many nations. Now, what happens is that Moses is passing the baton. This is an old guy. This is an old guy who learned some really hard lessons, who wasn't going to be able to inherit the land. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But he is giving some encouragement to a younger man. And Joshua, this younger man, is receiving this blessing as Moses speaks it over him and over the people of Israel that they might understand what it means for this next season of their life as they walk towards the promise that they've always had. Now, I'm going to read this to you in just a second, but I'm going to ask you also to read it with me in just a second. But this is one of those passages that if you've been around church for very long, you've probably heard it. But I want us to read it together. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. I want you to read it with me, if you would, parts of it. And I'm going to stop in just a second and ask you to read part of it with me. But Moses, making this prayer, it's a, it's a prayer, it's a blessing over the people of Israel and to, to uh, Joshua. He's getting ready to pass the baton. Remember this. Just kind of get this picture. This is the old man retiring saying, I'm no longer the one that God has called to lead these people. But he has called you. Joshua, to lead these people. And this is his kind of parting words to them in a sense. He says this, be strong and courageous for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors he would give them. He goes on and says this, you are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. And then he stops. And this is where, no matter where you're at, I know you, some of you might be sitting in a coffee shop somewhere. Uh, probably you're sitting on your couch at home right now and your kids are trying to jump around. But I want you just to read this part with me because it's so important for us to read something like this out loud because of what it says about the God that we claim to be real. He says this, and this is Moses' words to him. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He finishes by saying this. He will be with you and he will neither fail you nor will he abandon you. Some of you are familiar with other translations where it says God will never forsake you. And I just want to say, listen, this is a promise. This is a promise that Moses is praying over Joshua. And this promise is so important because this promise came from his experience years and years and years and years before. Not because of something that he had heard, but something that he had lived out, something he'd experienced, something that had changed him. See, Moses doesn't get to go in the promised land. And he is passing the baton to this younger man. But he's not just giving him leadership of the people. He's giving him wisdom. Because this story starts years before, where fear, where fear ruled in Moses' heart. And it leads him to failure. For all of us, this is true. Fear in every way, shape, or form will lead to failure at some point in our life. When fear has the primary voice in our lives, it will always lead to failure. Now, Moses' story is a little bit problematic because Moses has this incredible calling. He's had all these miraculous things happen. And then something happens just a couple years, maybe even less than a year into their journey into the wilderness. Numbers chapter 20 records this story and explains why Moses is having to pass on this blessing to go into the promised land to Joshua. 
what happens is that Moses and his brother, um, Aaron, Aaron is the spiritual leader. Moses is the vocal leader. And really, Aaron really becomes the priest of the people. And what happens here, and this is really interesting because uh, for not just historical purposes, but because it sounds so much like us, so much like humans, the responses. Now, what happens is that uh, the people of Israel have been walking through the desert. Now, don't, don't miss this. They have gone through plagues and God has protected them. They left Egypt and God parted a sea that they walked through and then conquered the army for them. They didn't have to fight. God had fully delivered them. And there's this invitation that you see all through the Old Testament of God saying, would you be my people? I want to be your God. And there's this constant invitation to relationship and God wants to be their leader. God sets them free, asks Moses and Aaron to lead them. And Moses and Aaron become the figureheads of Israel. They become the voice. God speaks through them. And God does some powerful, unique, and supernatural things that become almost undeniable. And by the time we get to Numbers chapter 20, God has done some powerful things. What makes it really interesting is that they've forgotten some of those things along the way. In fact, earlier in Numbers chapter 20, the people begin to complain. They are in the desert. They complain that there's no food. Well, God has provided for them over and over and over again. And something happens. They're at a rock in the middle of the desert. They have no water. They need to feed their flock. They need to feed their animals. They need to feed their family. They need water just to survive. They're in the middle of the desert. And Moses and Aaron go to God and say, God, what are we supposed to do? You haven't brought us out here to die. But the people are complaining in the background. You just kind of hear this background story of over and over and over again. The people are, God, you brought us out here. Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. You brought us, why don't you just let us die with our forefathers in Egypt? At least there we had water and we had food. And there's this overarching complaining moment. And something happens. God says something to Moses and Aaron and gives them a really clear command. Go out to the rock, hold up your staff, take your staff, take the staff out of the tabernacle, the staff that is a representation of my power, my authority, and my, and my supernatural en- engagement with you as the people of Israel. Take your staff, walk out to the rock, stand on the rock, and command water to come out of it. And tell the people that the commandment for the water to come out is a picture of my holiness and my perfection, and that water coming out is a sign of my grace to them. Moses and Aaron walk out among the complaining people, and Moses and Aaron, Moses specifically, struggling with the thing he had struggled with his entire life, the thing that maybe you, the thing that I certainly relate with his fear of what people would think about him. Or in another way we might say that is his insecurity. And the moment when he had opportunity to let God do what God wanted to do, he missed the moment. And it says that instead of just standing there with his staff, he struck the rock with the staff. And here's the thing. As he strikes the rock with the staff, water still comes out. And this is another teaching moment, one not for today, but the truth of the matter is sometimes in the middle of disobedience, God still does things to bless the people around him, even when we make mistakes. And here's what happens. He strikes the rock and immediately the Lord says to him, this is what, um, what you would read in Numbers chapter 20. And I want to read it to you really quick because it says this, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not, be, you will not lead them into the land that I am giving them. Get this. The reason Moses is making this prayer 
over Joshua and over the people of Israel is because of his, listen, greatest fear. That he was more concerned with the disappointing people when he stood on that rock instead of letting God do it. He did it his own way and it overshadowed his faith and God. See, Moses' greatest fear, Moses' greatest fear was disappointing people and it overshadowed his faith. And this is the thing you and I struggle with. Watch this. Moses' greatest fear was disappointing people and it overshadowed his faith in God. Listen, how often is that your reality? Because I know that's my reality often. And this really sets us up to have a conversation, to be honest. Because, listen, the thing that God says in the front of this is, do not be afraid. And the thing you see over and over and over again in Scripture, the thing you see over and over and over again in the lives of people that we respect is this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. People that are bold and courageous. Jesus over and over and over again says, hey, by the way, don't be afraid. But I love what the Deuteronomy passage says because it's just so clear that God is not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. And this, while maybe a word that was directly given to Joshua and directly given to the people of Israel, it is a picture of how God wants to interact with the people that call him Father. Because look, here's what we know intuitively, that God is and always has been enough. There might be moments when we doubt it, but when we look back with, with, the, with the richness of history, we recognize that God always has been enough. But somehow we're so attracted to fear that we forfeit the future by living out of it. We'll come back to that story as we finish. But there's a couple of things that are really important for us to talk about because there's a promise to not be afraid, but that promise was born out of something really important for Moses, failure. And Moses had learned his lesson that God was going to be enough, that God was going to show up. And he made that promise to Joshua and said, Joshua, don't forget the lessons that we learned back then and don't make those same mistakes because you can trust that God is gonna show up. And he does over and over again for Joshua and the people of Israel. A few thousand years later, Jesus is teaching his disciples in Matthew just after his Sermon on the Mount. And he is teaching and having a conversation with them about what it means uh, to be a follower of his. On a regular basis, this is what he would do. If someone wants to listen to me, they want to hear me, he gives these commands over and over and over again about what it means to follow him. And Jesus really kind of addresses this issue of fear, and we'll come to that in just a second, but here's what he's really saying before we read this passage. It's in Matthew chapter 7. If you want to open your Bibles, you want to click over there, you can. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And what he's saying is this, hey, by the way, um, most of us, most of us shy in the face of fear because we want to stay safe. Like Moses, we're crippled by fear. And that fear is driven by a desire to be safe because we're scared of what it might feel like to hurt. Jesus goes on and says this in verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is like a wise person who builds a house on a solid rock. Through the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against that house. It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand and when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. 
See, so often we kind of talk about this and talk about this, but, but I want to stop here for a second because Jesus is saying something really intentional that I don't want us to miss. Jesus is really saying this. He's not talking about us building a house. Ultimately, Jesus is really identifying something very specific for us, and this is what it is. Jesus is identifying the need for us to root, and this is so important. I'm going to sit here for a second because I know it's going to be uncomfortable for us, but we got to talk about this stuff because fear comes from inside. It's triggered by external things, but it's never an external thing. Jesus is identifying the need for us to root out, or root our, excuse me, root our inner life in something eternal. He's encouraging us to root ourselves in Himself. See, when Jesus is talking about building a house on a rock, he's not actually talking about building a house on a rock. He's talking about where are you establishing yourself? Better yet, where do you find your source of value and identity? I know in a climate like we're in right now, that's a really dangerous conversation. Because we identify ourselves politically, we identify ourselves uh, in every way, shape, and form you can come up with. But yet Jesus is saying, hey, by the way, the thing that drives us to go find meaning in what other people prescribe to us, the thing that struggle was a struggle for Moses, that thing of being more concerned about what, what people thought about him than what God thought about him, that kind of fear, Jesus said, only comes when you fail to understand where you came and he's not talking about our DNA when he says who you are. He's talking much more about who you choose to root yourself in and who created you from the beginning. Because when we miss that moment, when we fail to identify ourselves as first being children of God, and if you're not a Jesus follower, I get that might be something really hard for you to understand. But the things we're going to talk about here, don't, don't, don't check out on me yet. Because the things we're going to talk about here in just a second are valuable. They bring life to everyone. And what Jesus was in the business of over and over and over again was giving life to people where life didn't seem like it should exist. Because Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who will probably never build a house on a shore. He's talking to a bunch of people who are looking for hope. He said, hey, by the way, anyone who listens to me and does what I say, they're like a wise person who builds their house on bedrock. To which all those people would say, and later his disciples would say, oh, our life needs to be rooted. Our inner life, the things that happen inside of here, inner life need to be rooted in him. Because here's why. Here's what we all know. We all know intuitively that God isn't really in the business of scaring people. In fact, God is really in the business don't miss this. God is really in the business of triggering us with external things to provoke internal transformation. Listen, God doesn't just let things happen around us to make us feel punished or not care for us. God allows things around us to happen because he wants to change things in us and with us and through us. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend the majority of the rest of our time together talking through some practical steps of what that means. Most of us don't really need to be told that we're scared. We might need help admitting that we're scared or that we face fear or that we struggle with where we put our identity. Most of us struggle with that. We might have a problem coming to terms with it. But someday, either now or later, when you decide to come to terms with it, I want us to have some real concrete things to deal with how fear originates, where it comes from, and what we can do with it, and how even in this moment, even right now, we can deal 
with it and overcome some of those things. So let's talk about the first part. First, fear originates from three things. Conditioning, concealing, and controlling. And we're going to tease each of those out for a second, but let me just explain something here. This is some content that came from Louis Giglio, who did an incredible job. And if you struggle with fear and you struggle with identity, I would encourage you to go read Goliath Must Fall. Some of this content comes from that. Some of these practical steps come from that, from his experience with anxiety, with depression, and with fear. And here's what we know. We'll start with conditioning. And most of us know this, that Experience conditions us to feel that almost all of life is one endless threat that never fades. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pose some conversations here or make some points here, but I'm also going to ask us some questions. And that question, the first one is this, that might help us begin to address how we've allowed conditioning to build fear inside of us. What lie or lies have we believed that tell us that God isn't and won't be or wasn't enough. Let me say that again to you. What lie or lies have we believed, have you, have I, have we believed that tell us that God isn't or won't be or wasn't enough? Was it enough for that time that you got hurt, when you asked him to save you, when he asked him to pay your bills, to rescue you, to heal you? All those moments through your divorce, well, come on, through your cancer, through the things that are painful, through your singleness and your isolation right now, What lie are you being told that God isn't enough? What have you believed that has told you that God wasn't enough? Conditioning. Conditioning is this, over and over and over again, us looking out with hopeless eyes, believing that something outside of us is happening that we can't control. And while the truth may be, it may not be controllable on our behalf, how we respond to it is fully controllable by the way that we manage our lives internally, where we place our foundation, where we find our identity, and we face the fact that God is and always has been enough. Because when we don't, fear will always forfeit the future. This one's gonna be hard. When we talk about concealing, well, let's talk about it here. It'll be a little uncomfortable. Fear flourishes when we conceal something significant. Sin, failure, Listen, this is driven by the fear of people, right? The thing that we fear the most is what people often, most of us, uh, fear the most is what people will think about us. Our wives, our husbands, our kids, right? Our coworkers, our bosses, the people on a social media site that you don't even really know. Come on. You're more fearful of what people will think about the way that your life is when they scroll through their feed and that's why you touch up your pictures and you make sure you post it and you take it over and over and over again. Well, we do that and we make fun of those things on social media platforms and those places. The truth is we live our lives that way with the way that we dress, the way that we look in the mirror, the way that we address ourselves and see ourselves. We see ourselves through a lens of how will other people respond to me. We all do this. But concealing flourishes fear because it allows it to hide. So what does this look like? What do you, and this is probably the question that I I should ask myself and you. The cycle is like this. We make mistakes. We sin. We aren't honest about it. We hide that stuff under the hood of our lives. And so it takes root and it begins to destroy us. So the question is this. In this life, Who am I most concerned with pleasing? This goes back to Moses. In this life, who am I most concerned with pleasing? Because here's the thing. 
Unless we have people to offload the things that are inside of our closets with, the things that are under the hood of our car, and we need to open up and have other, let other people take a look at, miss, don't miss this. We are alone in our ability to reveal the things that need to be revealed. We'll talk about that in just a second. Last one is controlling. None of us are controlling. I know none of you are controlling. I'm not controlling. I just let everything happen the way that I like it to happen, or it's supposed to happen. I just don't. Now I'm lying. Controlling is really this idea. Our attempt to manipulate life's outcomes in areas we can't control allows fear to dictate and drive every relationship we have and every, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say every, every decision we make. Let me say that again. Controlling is our attempting to man- manipulate life's outcomes in areas we can't control and it allows fear to dictate and drive every relationship we have and decision that we make. Listen. We try to control something, we crush it and we squeeze it and we destroy the life that was already built into it. Here's what we know. And this is probably the question that you and I need to ask if we're really honest with ourselves. What am I trying to control in order to protect myself where we talked about this already? That we, that we default and allow fear to rule and we retreat in security to security because those things are so important to us to feel safe in order to protect myself that's ultimately hurting everything else. Now, these are all of the issues, and I hope the questions help you process what's going on for you, in you, and with you. But the real thing, the real thing that sets this apart, the real thing that breaks those things is this. Confession. Being honest and transparent about the things and the sin that has been deep inside of us. Because confession I love this. Confession breaks the cycle of sin that allows fear to flourish in each of us. Here's what that looks like. That's why we say, hey, by the way, don't be alone. Hey, by the way, don't do life alone. Hey, by the way, your family shouldn't be alone. Your kids should have other people to look up to other than you. Your your marriage is dependent on having other people not be part of it, but be around it. That's why we say get in community because here's the thing. When you find yourself in a place that you need to confess, do you have somebody to confess to? Because God wants to hear it, but the truth of the matter is accountability and God using other people to change and help you get feedback on the way that you might be controlling, concealing, or being allowing conditioning to manage your life is fully dependent on the voices speaking into our lives. And do we allow the voices speaking around us to be ones that speak life? Because so often we run away from those voices because it's not safe, because we might have to change. But the truth of the matter is we all actually want to change. But so often we stare fear in the face and we give up and we forfeit the future because we don't want to be insecure. But the truth of the matter is the very thing driving that thought pattern is insecurity. Because confession, confession, speaking this out, and we'll talk about this in a second, speaking this stuff out breaks the cycle that holds us trapped. Now, I want to talk about a couple things. This is what, what fear is. That, that is the anatomy of fear. But I want to talk about for the rest of our time about overcoming fear because fear has to be faced. We, we get that. In order for fear to be overcome, if you know the David and Goliath story, you got to face the giant. You got to face the fear. But here, here's what you need here. It has to be faced. And here's what we know most. In order to get to the heart of anything, we have to trace the symptoms to the source. Let me tease this out for a second. Symptoms do this. 
symptoms, discourage, distract, or become an escape from us facing our fear. Now here's rejection. Listen, rejection is a symptom of something going on inside of us. Us running to, to comfort, staying safe is a symptom. Anger, a symptom. Addiction, a symptom. A symptom of something going on deep inside of us that distracts us, that discourages us, Listen. or allows us to escape facing our fear. If we don't face the fear, overcoming it never becomes possible. So, let's talk about a couple of things that give us the ability to overcome those things. See, we got to renew faith. If, if faith really is the antidote to fear, and I don't want to say, hey, listen, you just need to have more faith and overcome your fear. I'm, listen, I'm saying there are real neurobiological reasons that fear takes root and holds root. But God understood that, and that's why Jesus and God over and over and over again throughout time and history, even in Scripture, have spoken to the reality that fear has to be addressed, that fear can be overcome. Do not be afraid, because God is saying over and over and over again through time and history that I have always been enough. Even in your life, I have always been Enough. See, faith, faith requires a memory for each of us, right? For us to go back, we have to have memory of those things, and memory requires a reminder. And in order for us to build faith, we need to do a few things. Here's what it looks like. In order to build faith, we need a reminder, and we need to remind ourselves of a few things, and we'll tease a couple of these out. God is and always has been, as we've been saying, enough. God is and always has been enough, the first one. The second one is God is able to provide and protect. These are, these are antidotes, right? These are reminders for us of what we have, have logged deep inside of ourselves as lies, right? We, we believe the lie that God is not and hasn't always been enough. Really, ultimately, what we're saying is that God isn't really actually able to provide and protect, for myself, protect me, which the truth of the matter is when we look at it, God has always been enough. Even when it didn't feel like he was, when we look back through the lens of history, we will see that he was enough, that he was present, that he was moving, and that he was doing something. And ultimately, what we need to do is put what's bigger than fear in front of us. I'll come back to this list in a second, but just hang on for a second. This idea of putting what's bigger than fear in front of us comes from David when he says, I continually put the Lord before me. King David in the middle of battle writes this. He says, I continually put the Lord in front of me. And what he was really saying is, hey, by the way, I see the thing of fear. I see that, that thing, but, and it looks so big. It looks like the shadow of a mountain that looks really tall. But when I turn and face that mountain, it's not that actually that big. The shadow just cast really far. And he says, so instead of myself fixating on that thing, the fear, the rejection, the addiction, I'm going to take something bigger than the fear and place it in front of the fear so that in order to look at that fear, I've got to see it through the lens of my Savior. And in the moments when, and this is, this is not just kind of just sleight of hand or, 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 or pithy comments. Listen, what he's really saying is this, is I'm going to make a mental choice. I'm going to make a decision to remember that God already told me not to be afraid. And I'm going to place him in front of that thing that looks so big, that looks so hairy, scary, and overwhelming. I'm going to put him in front of it. Because when I put him in front of it, he casts a much bigger shadow when he gives me a perspective that I can address that fear and I can find my identity in him. 
I may not always keep it there. It might wander, but I got to bring it back because in those moments, I've got to put what is bigger than fear in front of me. And so do you, just like he did. The next thing is this. In order to build faith, we need to remind ourselves that we have to identify the culprit. I don't want to tease this out because this is super important. Identifying the culprit means this. You identifying the thing that, that just speaks fear inside of you. It might be the way that that person at work thinks about you, the way that your spouse thinks about you, the way that your kids do. It might be money, and you might have been walked into a trap about resources and money, and somebody told you, hey, listen, you shouldn't, and you'll never be safe without a lot of money, and we call that hoarding, but really a lot of times we try to tease it out and call it Things like being wise and safe, right? Listen, we got to identify the culprits, the things that keep us, listen, the things that keep us up at night. Name them. Name the thing that keeps us up at night. They might be things for you. Write them down in your journal. Text them to a friend. Be honest about them with your spouse. Name the things that keep us up at night, the things that eat at you, the things that wreck you inside. Because identifying things and speaking them out Identifying and speaking out is the first step in beginning to offload our fear. Listen, don't miss this. Identifying the things, speaking them out, confessing them, being honest about them is the first step in beginning to offload our fear. That might be for some of you saying, hey, listen, I'm just really, really, really insecure. I'm constantly worried about what people think about me. I'm constantly worried about how people will perceive me. I'm constantly worried that people won't accept me for who I am. So I create myself into be somebody that I'm not. That's been part of my story. I've shared that here with you guys before. But as far too many of us allow that to be the thing that drives us. Not the bedrock of Jesus being our identity and building our inner life out of him. But in fact, building our life on a sandpaper, a piece of sand that shifts constantly and that we have to try to keep up with and it builds anxiety and it builds fear because we can never be enough. Identifying and speaking out is the first step to beginning to offload our fear because it loses its power when we speak it out. Now, the last thing we have to remind ourselves to do is to celebrate. And I love what Louis Giglio said. That the antidote to fear is faith. And the soundtrack of faith is worship. Listen, some of you who are riddled with fear or have never addressed or acknowledged your fear, don't miss this. The antidote to fear is faith. And the soundtrack of faith is worship. And here's why we worship. We sing and we celebrate because God is and has always been enough. Jesus was with his disciples in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. And that boat starts tossing to and fro. There's a huge storm. And something happens and the disciples, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. If you go read this in Mark chapter four, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. They wake him up like, hey, teacher, leader, help. We're in trouble. Aren't you scared? I think the boat's gonna sink. And Jesus in like a classic Jesus moment, stands up and just kind of like puts his hands out and says, be still. And instantly the, the, the weather is changed. Mark tells us instantly, in that moment, instantly the weather changes. The, the water goes flat. There are no more seas. There's no more uncomfortability. And instantly what was terrifying them is gone. But then it wasn't. And you gotta get this. When Jesus does this to his disciples, he's gonna say something to them in just a second. 
that I'm going to say to us, I'm going to say to myself, and I hope we can walk away with here in just a second. Because they'd watched him cast out demons. They'd watched him heal people. They'd watched him heal the sick and do all kinds of miraculous things. And they were going to see him do a whole bunch more after this story. Maybe he hadn't quite raised somebody from the dead, but he was going to. And Jesus looked at him. Early on on their journey together. And he asked him this. He said, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Is this going to be part of our journey forever? That you don't have faith? To which the disciples probably all would reply, yeah. I don't think this was Jesus identifying our weakness. I think he was identifying it so he could help us with it. Because John 10, 10 goes on. When it says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In verse 11, Jesus goes on and says this, and this is one of those most, just watch these moments. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. The good shepherd identifies the fear, tackles the fear, addresses the fear with them and for them and helps them have the courage to walk through the fear. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. What Jesus is ultimately talking about, what he ultimately addresses the same heavenly father that Moses knew all those years before when he told Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you and he will be with you. He will never fail you nor will he abandon you. Now, before you go today, I want to ask you a couple things. Have you ever faced or acknowledged your fear? Listen, I know there's a bunch of us that are watching. Maybe for the first time you've ever begun to address fear. Maybe you just started your journey with Jesus or maybe you haven't even started one, but you want to address fear. Have you ever acknowledged or faced fear? Maybe you didn't realize that your fear in every way, shape, or form for you and for me was forfeiting the future. So here's my encouragement to you. Let's face it. We're not alone. Jesus is with us. We're not alone. Your community is with you. You're not alone. We are with you. And it is not too big to face. Now, Jesus followers, this, this is for us. This is, this is a little harder. This isn't quite as easy. Watch this. Where have we allowed fear to forfeit our future? The future that Jesus called you to, that you know that he called you to, the business he called you to start, that jump into help care for that family that he called you to do, and somewhere fear crept in or that financial risk that he asked you to take or that thing he asked you not to do to protect yourself financially, the risky things, the fearful things that we retreated from and forfeited our future, what are those things? And the question that Jesus is asking you and asking me after all he's done to show himself faithful, that God has always been and always will be enough, he's just saying, hey, why are you still afraid? Not because he doesn't want you to acknowledge your fear, not because he wants you to make you feel stupid, not because he wants to make you feel small. He's just saying, why are you still afraid? I'm big enough, I'm with you, I am for you. Build your life in me, reclaim this is what he's saying to some of us. Reclaim your spirituality that you gave up in the face of fear. Maybe you never have acknowledged. Your spiritual responsibility to find your identity in me as your creator, me as your heavenly father, and my son as your savior. 
Go back to that space. Maybe, maybe for some of us, our faith has never been real enough and deep enough to combat fear. And it's time for us to spend real time getting to know the good shepherd and not just the sacrificial lamb, the heavenly father, not just the Jesus that saved us, but the Jesus that wants good life for us, the Jesus that promised, I have good things for them. And the thief that comes to steal, right? Valuable things, your peace, your joy, as we've been talking about, is the one that wants to reach inside of you and show you that he's always been enough to help you face the fear so it never, ever has to forfeit the future again. I'm gonna pray for us as we finish and at some of your campuses, um, if you're online, our hosts will come and close our service together and at your campus, they will as well. But what I wanna say to you is this, listen, fear is real. God acknowledges it over and over and over again, but he gives us a plan to address fear when we start by acknowledging that who we are was designed be in his purpose and to follow him. I pray that you do that this week. Heavenly Father, would you heal us? Would you restore us? Would you give us new life where we have forfeited so many things because of fear? Would you, God, would you do what you've always done historically? Would you take what was given away and would you restore it? You're so good at that. You take what was broken and busted and, and the thing that should have never had a life again, you, that vision, that calling for so many of us. God, you can rebirth it. You can breathe life back into it and you can give it back and do even more than we could have ever dreamed about. We trust you and allow you to do just that with our marriages, with our careers, with our finances, and more than that, God, with the people that you've called us to lead, the people you've called us to care for. Would you give us a chance to lean into those moments and live out the calling that you've called us to live out. That fear would no longer be forfeiting the future, but the hope and the presence and the promise of God would. Jesus, we love you and thank you that these things are possible because of you and what you've done in us, with us, and through us. Would you have your way in us? And it's your precious name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Well, what a powerful message from Pastor Shane. I don't know about you, but for me, it's such a timely reminder that, you know, fear is real and we are called to face our giants, but we don't have to do it alone, that we have a God who walks with us and he is for us. And so we hope that you walk through your next week reminding yourself of that truth. And as Pastor Shane said, you don't have to go through this alone. We are here for you. And so if you are walking through some of those fears and maybe there's there's something stirring inside of you and you want to be partnered with in prayer, there are a few ways that you can do that. You can do that by clicking the live prayer chat button on wateroflifecc.live where we have prayer counselors and pastors who would love to pray for you personally. Or you can call us at our church offices at 909-463-0103. Or you can check us out on our website at wateroflifecc.org. We want to partner with you. You're not alone. But other than that, we love you guys. We'll continue on our series next week. But other than that, we love you and have a great rest of your week. God bless.